As you know, my current church is in the Chicago area next to Northwestern University there in Evanston. We have a significant number of college students in our church. Almost half our church is made up of Northwestern students. And you may know about that school, and there's a variety of famous graduates of that school. But the most famous graduate right now graduated in 2003, and her name is Meghan Markle. And if you don't know Meghan Markle, uh, she is famous because she is about to marry Prince Harry. Basically, she's going to be a princess. Now, we know that the country um, is currently under Elizabeth, who is the queen, but her role is mainly symbolic and honorary. And as others carry out the country's responsibilities with more authority, she has very little say and very little sway in the life of the country. Now, there are some who claim to be followers of Jesus, but Jesus is merely symbolic or honorary. Uh, just like the queen's role, Jesus has very little say in their life. Occasionally, they'll go to church. They may pray before meals, but it's as if they're giving a nod to Jesus, who has no authority in their life. Perhaps similar to the queen. But my guess is, I've talked to a lot of you, and I've heard about a lot of you. That's not you. You don't treat Jesus like that. To you, he is your king. He is your Lord. And you give him absolute reign and authority over your life. But sometimes, if you're honest, sometimes you may wonder, is he enough? Maybe a little doubt creeps into your mind. Is he enough to fulfill you? Is he enough to guide you? Is he enough to care for you, especially when you're going through hard times? Basically, you acknowledge his supremacy, but you doubt his sufficiency. Anybody struggle with it? I do. I acknowledge his supremacy, but doubt his sufficiency, especially during times of trials. Am I going to trust him to fulfill me? Am I going to trust him to guide me? Am I going to trust him to care for me? It's a common struggle and temptation that we all face. Well, there was an instance in the New Testament book of Colossians where the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Colossae who was under the threat of a heretical teaching that offered something more to fulfill them. The details of this destructive heresy are hard to pin down, but as you read the book, you can kind of guess that what the false teachers were doing, they were trying to diminish and devalue Jesus Christ. Perhaps they were offering some other plan of spirituality where Christ was pushed out to the periphery. They, they taught that Christ was not sufficient, but something else was needed. 
And even today, you can hear that. And these alternative plans of spirituality, they pop up in different forms. Some claim that following a set of rules will fulfill you. Or some look to positive thinking or words of faith. And still others turn to angels or saints of old for spiritual help and fulfillment. And what these alternative plans of spirituality do is they diminish and devalue Jesus Christ. But in this book, Paul pushes back strong. And his argument is basically this. Since Jesus is supreme, then He is sufficient. Since Jesus is supreme, then He is sufficient. Sufficient not only to save you, which we know that, but He's also sufficient that now that you're saved, to fulfill you. And He's sufficient to guide you. And He is sufficient to care for you. You do not need to go elsewhere. And that's the argument and kind of the scope of the book of Colossians. So as we look at Colossians chapter 1, Verses 15 through 23. And by the way, my church back home is finishing this book today. Uh, there's another guy, one of our apprentices, preaching it. And I thought I would just give you a taste of this, this great book. But let's get a little organized as we go through the passage this morning. One of my favorite scholars is Douglas Moo up at Wheaton College. And he helps me get a little organized here. I want to put it up for you, a little outline, in case you'd like to follow along. We have the supremacy of Christ and creation. Verses 15 through 17. And the supremacy of Christ and the new creation. Verses 18 through 20. And we'll see that the supremacy of Christ demands a firm faith. In verses 21 through 23. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to simply work our way through the passage. So let's start with the supremacy of Christ in creations. In Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. You can stop right there. That Jesus is the image of the invisible God in that He is the, the full representation and revelation and manifestation of God. The book of Hebrews says in chapter 1, verse 3, remember it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And that imprint language sounds like the imprinting of a coin with the face of a leader like Caesar. In this case, Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature because Jesus is God. Jesus said in uh, John 14, verse 9, He says, He who has seen Me has seen the Father. It's a clear statement to the deity of Jesus. Because Jesus is God. One God, three persons, Jesus is fully God. Now back to our text. Back to verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. And when you hear this, this terminology for firstborn child, you may, you may think something different that could be thought in the Hebrew culture. Because in the Hebrew culture, the concept of firstborn could also refer to rank or privilege. 
And this rank or privilege could go to a descendant regardless of birth order. If you remember, Isaac was not born first but Ishmael. Jacob was not born first but Esau. And yet, Isaac and Jacob both got the blessing and the inheritance, right? Well, the reference to Jesus here as firstborn is not talking about Jesus' birth order. It's not saying that Jesus was created in the sense of being birth order. That's, that's a heresy called Arianism, indicating that Christ was a created being. No, we're not talking about that. Rather, since Jesus has existed for eternity and is the creator, firstborn is a reference to his rights, rank, and privilege. He is supreme and preeminent and exalted son over all creation, and he has the rights and the privilege and the rank and the rule over all. When we visit our nine-year-old son in uh, Jamaica, when we fly into Kingston, I don't know if many of you have been to Kingston, you've probably been to Montego Bay, but we fly into Kingston, and when we get to the airport, we see the first picture of the pictures that we see everywhere of the fastest man in the world, Usain Bolt. Huge picture. And we go along the streets and the stores, and everywhere is a picture of Usain Bolt because he is this preeminent and, and surpassing fastest man alive. But Jesus is preeminent in that he surpasses surpasses all others, and he is Lord over all. That's the idea of preeminence and supremacy. That's the argument Paul is making here. But not only is he is Lord of all, but he created all. Look back at verse, and now look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Did you know that God, through Jesus Christ, created the world? Jesus created all things in heaven and on earth, things that are seen, that which is visible, and things that are unseen, that which is invisible. He created angels, and that they may be ranked in order of thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. And the focus of creation is Jesus. It says all things were created through him and for him. He is the focus. He is the ultimate aim. Verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The Son of God is eternally preexistent before all things, and he holds all things intact. In fact, if Christ were not holding you together right now and all creation together, then I guess you would just dissolve and disintegrate into nothingness. This is an astounding claim that Jesus Christ, who walked the earth not long before Paul, is the creator of all and holds it all together. Did you see the argument he's making? That he is supreme over all. He's holding you together. He, he is unbelievably preeminent. So you kind of think when you read this, why would the Colossians go anywhere else? It would be insane, right? 
It's insane to think that he is supreme, but not sufficient. That's insane thinking. A few months ago on January 13th at 8.07 a.m., Hawaii residents received a text message that a ballistic missile was headed for the island and to seek shelter. At 8.45, the residents were alerted that it was a false alarm. Sixteen minutes after the second message, internet pornography increased about 50%. You're about to die? You face death? And where do you turn? Well, they don't turn to Jesus. They turn to pornography. And you would say, that is insane, right? But what do you turn to? When the missiles of life come your way? What do you turn to? What do I turn to? Is our first thought is right to Jesus? <laughs> or do you look elsewhere? And you see how kind of that's insane because he created you and he's there to fulfill you and guide you and care for you. And since Jesus is supreme, then he is sufficient. He is sufficient for you, no matter what you're going through. Not only have the supremacy of Christ in creation, but the supremacy of Christ in new creation. The passage just keeps getting better and better. So let's look at the supremacy of Christ in the new creation. That'd be the church, by the way. Look at verse 18. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Church is called the body of Christ. And Jesus is the head. It means he has authority and, and rules over this church as well as over the church. And he, he loves us and he nurtures us and leads us. In addition to his headship over the church, if you notice he's also says that he is the beginning. Now earlier we saw he's the initiator of initiator of creation as he created everything but here he is the initiator and the beginning of the church the new creation and just as an aside here let me just say the church is jesus's idea you didn't make this up i didn't make it up the church is jesus's idea and if we ever you know treat the church as optional we're like jesus that wasn't a very good idea right not optional. He created it. All right. I'll come back here. All right. <laughs> back to verse 18 again. It says, He is the firstborn from the dead. As he rose with this glorious resurrection body, never to die again, paving the way as the forerunner for all of us in the new creation to rise one day. And as the initiator and the firstborn from the dead, the goal is right there so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. He is supreme Lord over the church. And like I said, it just keeps getting better. Look at verse 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. 
In the Old Testament, the glory of God was said to fill the temple. Now in Christ, the glory and fullness of God is in, in Him. There's nothing lacking as Jesus is fully God and all of His attributes and fully sufficient to meet your needs. And then verse 20. You want to underline this, highlight it, circle it. It's the best. And through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross, through Him, I say, whether things on heaven or things in earth. Do you see how the crucifixion of Christ has impacted all of life? Reconciliation for sinners and one day restoration for the created order. His blood shed on the cross has made peace for rebellious sinners like us to come to the Father through faith. This is the good news. Have you experienced this good news? Have you embraced this good news? It's what we call the gospel. That a holy God poured out His wrath on His Son on the cross instead of on sinners. He was buried, and then He rose three days later, victoriously conquering sin, Satan, and death. And the, the call is, those who put their faith in Christ can have peace with the Father through His blood. Have you embraced this gospel? Once again, Paul is saying, well, if, if Jesus is supreme over the church, then He is also sufficient for your life. And He's sufficient for your life even when things do not go as planned. I'm sure you can look back at portions of your life and say, yeah, that didn't go as I planned it. And chances are you are where you are right now and you said you didn't plan a lot of these things. And I know that some of you are going through some unknowns right now that you did not want. But we know that even in those hard times, Jesus is sufficient to fulfill you, guide you, and care for you. And since He is supreme, He is sufficient. Now, the last portion here is that the supremacy of Christ demands a firm faith. You just can't believe good doctrine and just leave it at that. We have to trust in the sense of living it out through a firm faith. Look at verse 21. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. This is beautiful. This is your before and after reality. <laughs> before the intervention of Christ, you were separated, enemy of God. But now through the death of Jesus, you are presented righteous, holy, and blameless in Christ by faith. But this supremacy and work of God in Christ demands a firm faith. Look at verse 23, our last verse. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation, under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. You see, this supremacy and preeminence of Christ demands a firm and enduring faith. 
Do not shift away from Jesus onto some other plan, other plan of spirituality. Because the hope that the Colossians have embraced is in Christ, and the hope that you have embraced is in Christ. Do not turn elsewhere. And we know Scripture that says that he who began a good work in you will finish it until the day of Christ Jesus. And yet we have these exhortations to keep enduring in your faith because God will use his words as a means for your endurance. The supremacy and sufficiency of Christ demands an enduring faith. Be stable in the gospel. Be steadfast. Do not shift to another false gospel. Since Jesus is supreme, then he is sufficient. Sufficient to save you, yes, and to fulfill you, and to guide you, and to care for you. Now, let's, let's do this. Let me make a quick little uh, way where we apply the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ to your life. It will be some heart work, real quick. Jesus is sufficient to fulfill you. You do not need to turn elsewhere for fulfillment. Jesus is sufficient to guide you. You do not need to lean on your own understanding. And I don't know if anyone here is trying to lean on their own understanding, trying to figure out their life apart from the Lord. But Jesus is sufficient to save you and to guide you. Or you can trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. And another last application is Jesus is sufficient to care for you. You must not believe the lies that Satan tries to throw at you that he has abandoned you or he has forsaken you. So there's lies. Keep coming back to the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ to fulfill you, guide you, and care for you, especially in hard times. When I was a young boy, grew up in Dallas, lived in the Pleasant Grove of Dallas, if you know where that is, we would drive out to my grandmother's. She lived by the Brian Adams High School, a little bit further away. And my grandmother and I were very close. When I was younger <laughs> and on into junior high and high school, we would play canasta, Yahtzee, flinch, and watch the Waltons together. In high school, I would come over. Uh, when we moved out to North Richland Hills, I would drive over and still hang out with her. I'd drive around to a few places back in the day when they had Kmart. <laughs> and I would just hang out with her, and she would cook for me and do my laundry and and then I went off to college at Arkansas Tech University over here in Russellville, believe it or not. And I would still come home to see her and hang out with her over the summers. And I was looking forward to moving, uh, moving back to Dallas after college to see her while I went to Dallas Seminary. And we were going to hang out and everything was going to be normal. I was looking forward to it. 
But it was during that time when I was 22 years old that our roles switched. As her health declined, and instead of her taking care of me, now I was taking care of her. Did I mention I was 22 years old? Clueless on what that means. Total unknown territory for me. And it was unknown territory for her for her health to decline. So our roles switched. We were in and out of hospitals. I was by myself. Just, just, just both of them. It was just her and me. That's it. No family members. We can talk about that later through counseling, okay? <laughs> we were in and out of hospitals setting up home visits and doctors and aides and Got a hospital bed in the house, try to set that up. She comes home, stroke one, stroke two, in and out of rehabilitation, in and out of nursing homes, healthcare centers. That went on for a while. <laughs> and I graduated from seminary at 25 in Dallas, headed off to my first church, Santa Monica, California. My grandmother was in Dallas. I'm not leaving her there. She's coming with me. I don't know how to get her there, but she's coming with me. Well, we figure that out. You know, once again, unknown territory. It was unbelievable the things that she and I went through together during most of my 20s. And we both acknowledged the supremacy of Christ. All right? She was a firm believer, so we both acknowledged the supremacy of Christ. But, I, but I'm going to tell you, it was a daily fight for her and for me to believe that he was sufficient. It was hard to struggle, right? It was hard to believe that he's going to be sufficient to fulfill both of us and to guide both of us when I don't know what I'm doing and to care for both of us. But I'm here to testify that the Lord proved faithful time and time again. And I believe he will do the same for you. Since Jesus is supreme, then he is sufficient.